We are officially in week four of our series, uh, and since we missed a week due to snow, and I didn't want to miss out on any of the cool movies that we're doing, I'll be preaching on Charlie Brown in this service and on the movie Elf in the next service. So if you want to catch all of them, you'll have to listen online or get a CD. But uh, speaking of Charlie Brown Christmas, is anybody here, it's your favorite Christmas movie, Charlie Brown Christmas? Okay, cool. A couple people. Here's what I want to do. We've done something every week. We've done some trivia. We've done some random things. We found someone whose birthday is on Christmas because, you know, they only get one set of presents. And uh, we did a little bit of everything. So this morning, uh, Pastor Wayne and I had decided that we were going to see who spent Christmas the furthest away from home so we could give out the Charlie Brown Christmas anniversary deluxe edition 50 years since this movie has come out so if you spent uh and if you don't mind standing up if you spent christmas in another state would you stand up all right there's one and two okay i guess you're representing all the mojos brian they get to all right so let's see how far away what's what's the farthest state all right brian i know it was florida right down to the panhandle and ron 500 miles. I think Florida's probably a little bit further. So Florida wins. All right. <laughs> Brian, how do you always win all the cool stuff? <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, speaking of Christmas and Christmas movies, what are some of your favorite things about Christmas? Jesus' birth. That's what it's all about, right? All right. The Sunday school answer is out. What else? I'm just kidding. That's a wonderful answer. Yes. Birthday cake for Jesus. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Now, the last word is the most important. Did you guys hear that? Hunting. So spending time with family, hunting. That's, that's awesome. What else? Favorite things about Christmas? Seeing children open Christmas on Christmas morning and decorations. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to uh, take our students to uh, Bush Gardens Christmas Town and saw lots of decorations, over 10 million lights. It was very cool. And we actually got to see a show which was uh, based on the birth of Jesus, which was really cool to see a secular company put on a production that was all about the birth of Jesus and telling the story of him. That's really cool. Yeah, so what else? One more. No school. No school. <laughs> yes, the best part. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's, that's got to be pretty exciting. All right, so before we get to the important question, what is your favorite Christmas movie? All of you know mine if you were here uh, on Christmas Eve or before. You guys heard that uh, uh, The Santa Claus is my favorite Christmas movie with Tim Allen. The first one, second, third one, not so great. But that's my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, you got to hear about Pastor Wayne's last Sunday, Home Alone, since he got to preach about that, and I didn't get to preach about Die Hard, you know. Oh, well. But that's his favorite Christmas movie. What are some of your favorite Christmas movies? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. We've done that one. That's good. What else? What's that? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a wonderful movie. A Christmas Carol, absolutely. Somebody I know was in a Christmas Carol recently. <laughs> what else? What about a non-typical Christmas movie? Yes. Sure. Right? Very cool. 
Yep. Because there's five thank you Jesus signs side by side with all the, all the neighbors. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, so lots of, yeah, lots of thank you Jesus signs. Very good. All right, one more Christmas movie. Let's hear about that. The Polar Express. Oh, I can't stand that one. But I, I, I just over, it's overplayed. Tom Hanks plays like every character, just like Jim Carrey. It's crazy. I don't know what is it with Christmas movies. They can't find more than one actor. But anyway, so lots and lots of Christmas movies. I've even been told that there's some odd Christmas movies that you wouldn't think of. Like Iron Man 3 is technically a Christmas movie. I would have never thought of that as a Christmas movie. But there's lots of them. And I'm glad that we've done some of your favorites so far. At YC, we actually got to do uh, the story of the Santa Claus. And we talked about why uh, seeing is not necessarily always believing, but believing can be seeing. And the one we didn't get to do was the Polar Express, and we didn't get to talk about uh, why we should have a childlike faith and what a childlike faith actually means. But today, we're going to talk about the Christmas story, probably one of the only Christmas movies on our list that actually talks about the Christmas story. So since we're talking about the Christmas story, and you guys have heard it, we read it on Christmas Eve, I'm sure most of you read it. Uh, I know at my in-law's house, we go to my grandfather-in-law, he's been a was a pastor for close to 40 plus years and is now retired. And he always reads Luke chapter 2, always reads the Christmas story. And we always go through that. And this year something interesting happened. We went through the Christmas story and we picked it apart for everything that was in it that we believe happened but didn't actually happen. And it was really funny to have that dialogue because we all know about those things but we don't like to talk about them because it kind of damages our traditions. But what are some things that you can think of that we traditionally celebrate or we traditionally think of happened uh, around the birth of Jesus that didn't actually happen that way? The wise men is the biggest one. If you're wise men, if you have your little nativity scene, you have the wise men, you need to put them on a different shelf, okay, or like down the street. I know when I was uh, at Liberty, uh, they always had a nativity scene out front by the sign, and someone actually picked up the wise men and stuck them at the bus stop, which was hilarious. (laughs) So the wise men didn't show up for a couple years, right? Jesus was probably a toddler by the time they had shown up. All right, so the wise men, that's one of them. What else? What are some other misconceptions we have about Christmas? Absolutely. So the stable was not necessarily, uh, there's two parts to that, actually. One, the inn wasn't probably like a hotel, right? It just meant there was no lodging anywhere in, in any family's home or anything like that. The second one is that, yeah, the the lodging place that they did end up in was not some dirty mangy stable necessarily it was probably a cave more than likely and it was where people kept their horses when they were traveling and so it wasn't with all the pigs and donkeys and all this stuff it was probably just horses and camels but yeah so that's a different misconception that we have about Christmas that it was in this dirty mangy barn or something like that it was a little bit different than that and a lot of times it was attached to the house so they still had heat they still had things like that because it wasn't somewhere off in the distance. So yeah, that's another one. What else? Yes. Right, so what did the innkeeper say? There was no room, right? Right, so there is no innkeeper because there probably wasn't an inn. (laughs) What else? The date, somebody finally said it. December 25th. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Very highly unlikely. There are multiple reasons for that. One, 
the reason we celebrate it on December 25th is because a long time ago, the church decided, you know, there's this pagan holiday where they celebrate the winter solstice, and, and we want to get people to stop celebrating the pagan gods and start celebrating one of our holidays. So they kind of moved it and combined it and said, you know what, let's celebrate the birth of Jesus on this day. And the church at that time, the biggest one was the Roman Catholic Church, right? And so they said, decided we're going to have a mass, which is what they call their Sunday services, on the day that Christ was born. Christ Mass. Christ Mass Christmas. See, that's pretty cool. So, Christmas Day. Also, probably wasn't any time in the winter, actually. So, all the songs that we sing, which I'm guilty of some of them, like In the Bleak Midwinter, and all the songs that have anything to do with winter or snow, probably very unlikely. And there's multiple reasons we can see that, and we'll go through some of those today, but the main one that we can point to is in the story, which is the shepherds. Where were the shepherds when Jesus was born? They were in the fields. Would you want to stand in the field in the mid of winter in the Middle East? Probably not. The main reason they were in the fields is because it was most likely the lambing season. That was the only time of the year that Jewish shepherds would spend time in the fields. Otherwise, they would just leave them out. They didn't spend every night in the fields all year long. There was a brief window of time, just a couple of weeks, in which the sheep would give birth. And so they had to be in the fields at night to make sure that everything went well. And it always happened between what we would call March and April. So it was most likely in the springtime. And if you want to really impress your friends and see something really cool, uh, you know that Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? And so Jesus was most likely born in the lambing season. And interestingly enough, according to Jewish law, when you would sacrifice a lamb, you could only sacrifice a lamb during the same month that it was born. And it is probably most likely that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross during the same time that he was born, being the Lamb of God, which is why we celebrate Easter in the spring. So if you really want to debunk the Christmas story as people know it, throw some of those things out there. And there's a couple more that we'll get into. But let's start off in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we'll move forward a little bit. Now, as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and kind of start a little bit. First, it says, in the sixth month. Now, we have to have a little bit of context for this. Otherwise, we'll think it was probably June. For one, their calendar was a little bit different. And two, this is in context to Jesus' aunt being pregnant. So this is Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was pregnant. And this is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. We'll see that later on in the text as well. So it says, in the sixth month, in verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. So right off the bat, we learn about an engagement between Mary and Joseph. And we often think, you know, he got down on one knee and proposed, and she was wearing a ring and, you know, all this kind of stuff. A lot of translations will say betrothed. We know that engagement in their time is a little bit di different than engagement in our time. So engagement for them, they, they lived together, not necessarily in the same room, but they traveled together. They were basically married with everything but the physical stuff. That was the only way in which they weren't married yet. They acted as if they were a married couple in every other way. That's why they traveled together. That's why they spent time together. They essentially could not break it off as easily that's why when you see later on with Joseph, when he considers a divorce or a separation, it's much more severe than just breaking off an engagement. 
So they're essentially married just without the physical stuff. That hasn't happened yet because they haven't had a festival for their wedding yet. Verse 29 says, But she was deeply deeply troubled, that's Mary, by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this would be. Tells me one thing about what's going on with Mary is that she's probably scared. Because an angel shows up, and for one, angels look pretty creepy. I don't know if you've read anything about angels in the Bible, but they don't look like the little babies with wings that you see. They were very massive and weird-looking creatures. The depictions that we have of them say they have what looks like eyes all over their body, and they have six wings, and some of them have flaming heads, some of them have four heads. There's a lot of weird things about angels in the Bible. And sometimes, yes, they do come in the form of men. And they represent God's glory. So that can scare some people. The other reason that Mary's probably afraid and why she's wondering what kind of greeting this is going to be is because God has essentially been silent for 400-something years. And so if God is coming back, it, it might not be a good thing because a lot of times God spoke to people in the Old Testament. It was normally because of punishment. And so she's probably afraid as to what's happening, thinking, what did I do? If any of you, maybe when you were a kid... You're in your room and your parents come in and say, what happened? And you're like, what did I do? What did I do? I did something wrong, right? That's probably the feeling that she might have. And the reason we know this is because the angel says in verse 30, then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This phrase is very common in scripture. It happens a lot. Uh, Some people say it happens a certain amount of times, and I'm not going to go with that. Some people say it's one for every day of the year. Uh, It's not exactly true, but the Bible does say a lot. Some Some form of do not be afraid or do not fear quite a bit as a reminder that with God we should not be afraid. Verse 31 says, Now listen, you will conceive a child and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. In Hebrew, his name is Yeshua. So we say Jesus because that's the the Greek form of his name, but Yeshua is how they would say it. And and his name means deliverance or salvation. Couldn't be more clear than that, folks. What did he come to do? He came to deliver and to save. So walking around, people hearing his name knew exactly what his purpose was. He will be called great called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. It says, Then Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In verse 36, it says, And consider your relative relative Elizabeth. She has conceived a son in her old age, and in the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So it explains that God can do anything, even make a baby happen when there was no physical stuff happening. It says that this baby will be the son of God. You guys know this story, and this is the best part of the story to me, other than Jesus' actual birth, is Mary's response. She says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be done according to me, to your word. And then the angel left her. Mary agreed to serve. Mary agreed that she would do whatever God needed her to do 
to help push this story forward. The other thing that this passage answers for me is that song that everybody likes to sing around Christmas, Mary, Did You Know? Yes, you did. It's a very wonderful song, but the angel just explained it all to her. So, yes, she knew. Uh, still love the song. It's great and all, but she knew all that stuff because she agreed to do it. Anyways, we're going to jump to chapter 2, but before we do, I'm going to kind of explain something that happens in the last... The, the, the next part of the chapter, you see Elizabeth, her relative, uh, meets her at some point when she's pregnant with Jesus. And I think this is very important, especially in our culture today when we devalue human life, especially the life of the unborn, so much. That the first person to recognize Jesus was an unborn child, his cousin John. Isn't that amazing? He leaps with joy when he's near her. I think that's very, very important for Christians to pay attention to. Luke chapter 2, where most people start the story on Christmas Day. In verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and the whole empire was to be registered. This is the first registration that took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Another thing that we often misconstrued about this story, and we often show images of and videos of, is we often think that Joseph and Mary just got a camel and walked by themselves to Bethlehem. They were most likely traveling in a group. Remember, the whole world was supposed to be taking part in this census. So it's very highly unlikely that they left by themselves. They probably went with a large group of people. And so they travel together, which is how they travel a lot of times throughout Scripture. When Jesus is a, is a young boy, they travel in a group. We see that often. They travel in a caravan. In verse 6, it says, While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Pause. Another misconception. We often think they showed up to Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn. Because the innkeeper said no. <laughs> and the baby just, oh, oh, baby's here. We just showed up just in time. Well, see, this verse has a problem with that. It says, while they were there. So they had been staying there for probably quite some time. So they didn't just walk up, make it into Bethlehem's uh, quarters and said, you know what? There's no room. Let's go find a place because the baby's coming right now. We try to cram the story into like one night. It took much longer than that. So they were there for some time, probably preparing for this. In verse 7, then it says, Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for him in the lodging place. So we've already talked about that, where he most likely stayed. It wasn't necessarily in a dirty mangy barn, but in a place attached to a family house, probably to a relative. Someone who was related to him, he was able to stay uh, in one of these carved out caves, one of these places where they kept the horses and camels. Verse 8 says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Again, the shepherds are freaked out for a couple of reasons, but, but one, remember angels were scary beings. And they weren't probably sure what this message would be. 
The angel has the same reply he had to Mary in verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you the good news of great joy will be for all the people. It continues in verse 11. It says, Today a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those he favors. When the angels had left and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Why shepherds? Can anybody take a guess why God came to shepherds? What's that? They were lowly. And, you know, the shepherds end up getting a pretty important job. They announce Jesus. There's, there's a word for that. We sing about it. Hark the herald. Angels sing. You see, a herald was someone that uh, would get paid a lot of money by someone who's very important to announce the birth of somebody very important. But here you have this young Jewish couple that probably was looked at of being scandalous because people didn't understand what was actually going on. And of all the people, God finds these dirty, mangy shepherds that are out in the field, probably delivering lambs, and had not a whole lot of time to take a shower, and decides they're going to be the ones that deliver the news of Jesus. They were the undesirable of their community. People didn't want to touch them. And you see, Jesus didn't come just for the religious elite. He didn't come for just the people who dress nice on Sundays. He didn't come for the people who have been in Bible study since they were three years old. He came for everybody. So that's why he decided the first people to tell about the birth of Jesus were going to be the undesirables, the shepherds. We talked about why they were afraid, probably because they were expecting bad news. But their response is very similar to Mary. And I hope that it's our response to the birth of Jesus as well. Two things, immediate obedience and excitement. They're excited to be a part of this. You see, we get bogged down in Christmas time with presents and visiting family and church activities and going to all the things we have to do because they're tradition and making sure we go see lights. And see, it's all fun, and then a lot of times it can bog us down. We got to do all the shopping, and then we got to return stuff, and then we got to cook, and then we got to clean. And we kind of forget that we should be excited that Jesus came. We should be ecstatic. And it should cause us to obey. You see, a great phrase I heard that really spurred me along in vocational ministry was this that delayed obedience is disobedience. You guys have heard me say that before. Had the shepherds said, you know what, that's probably pretty important, but we got some sheep and, you know, there are probably wolves around and we got to make sure that they give birth. That's kind of important stuff. I don't know anything about this Messiah. You guys haven't talked to us in 400 years. I'm not really sure about this. No, they immediately dropped what they were doing. And we see that in Scripture when people encounter the message of Jesus, if they truly believe it, they immediately stop what they're doing and follow him, even if he's just a baby. Because I think of the apostles. Before they were apostles, they were just fishermen. They immediately dropped their nets. 
I think of the people who were tax collectors. They immediately left their position. They did not delay. They were immediately obedient and excited for the good news of Jesus. Verse 16 says, They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying, lying in a feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported this message to all they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary, treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Do you treasure up these things in your heart throughout the year, just like Mary treasured them up in hers? You see, she was excited because she knew that this son would be the Messiah. She had faith in that. Maybe she had just, you know, had a weird vision. Maybe it was a ghost. Maybe it wasn't really a ghost, just an undigested bit of beef or a blot of mustard, like old Ebenezer Scrooge says. Maybe she was imagining things. But no, she took it on faith that this child would be the Messiah and that this was important. And so is, is Jesus the Messiah in your life? And I don't mean just, yeah, 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 I know Jesus saves and all that. No, has he actually saved you and have you decided to follow him? Because it's an important thing. And because it's so important, God wants all of us to be accessible to him. You see, the story of Christmas is not just for Christians. It's for the world. Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He came for the world. Jesus didn't just come for the religious elite. He came for the world. That they might have the opportunity to be saved. And you see, often we think just because someone is unlikely to accept Jesus that they're too far gone. And we've talked about that. Just because it will be difficult... We shouldn't mess with that. You know, that person, I could witness to them all day long, and they'll never come to Jesus. Didn't we just read a story about something that was really impossible without God, but yet it still happened? That's because God was involved. Make sure God is involved. And when God is involved, we should not have a reason to fear. I want to show you this clip from Charlie Brown, and I want you to watch it with new eyes. Maybe some of you have noticed this, but I, I noticed this a couple years ago watching it. And you'll see at the end of the story, you know, Charlie Brown's upset. He had this dinky little Christmas tree that everybody was making fun of him for. And he just didn't really understand what the true meaning of Christmas was, right? Then Linus shows up. Linus shares the same story that I just shared with you. Because that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. But I want you to pay attention to something. Linus, what does he always have with him? A blanket. Why? It's a security blanket. What are the security blankets in your life? It's probably not a blanket or a teddy bear anymore. You grow up and sometimes it becomes money. Sometimes it becomes a person or a position. You think that thing will keep you safe and secure, but... It's not going to. I remember when I was little, a tornado had come through our county and, and I needed my teddy bear. That teddy bear wasn't protecting me from a tornado. It was complete false security. That blanket isn't helping Linus with anything, but he's holding on to it because he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't have it. 
And as far as I know, the whole series, he has this blanket on him. I want you to watch what happens when the words, do not fear, are spoken out of his mouth. Go ahead and play the clip. Hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rat. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So when he says, fear not, what happens to the blanket? He drops it. That's my message to you this morning, church. We all have these things in our life that make us feel secure, but can never actually secure us. There's only one thing, one person that can ever actually secure us, and that's Jesus Christ. When we're afraid, we don't need to run to our blanket, to our teddy bear, to our money, to our position, to a person. The only person that can ever secure us is Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have those things in your life that you're holding on to intently because you think they will secure you, that thing is an idol. That security blanket is taking the place of God in your life. And this morning, you need to drop the blanket. We need to step out of fear and into faith. I'll say it again, church, because no one said amen. We need to step out of fear and into faith. There you go. We cannot make decisions based on fear. We have to make decisions based on faith. Imagine if Mary had let the fear control her. Imagine if these shepherds had let the fear control her. Instead, they were obedient. And I want you to think about this. Because we read of another tale of obedience... It's about Jesus Christ, and it says he was obedient to the point of a cross. Do you think Jesus was afraid to take that on? Yeah. Do you think maybe that was the reason he was sweating drops of blood in the garden? Yeah. 
You think maybe that's why he was begging his father to please find any other way to save people than this? If there's any other way that I don't have to drink of this cup, please make it so. Thank God the verse didn't end there. It says, but nevertheless, thy will be done. No matter how afraid we are, we need to let go of the things that we think make us feel secure and grasp on to the only thing that can secure us, and that's God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come together and worship at a time like this. And God, I pray that we can all step out of fear and into faith so that we don't have to be bogged down by the things of life that hold us back, but instead, God, we can look towards you. And I pray that if there are any false idols in our life, God, that we can clear those things out, especially during Christmas time. God, sometimes Christmas can be the most stressful time of the year, but it's supposed to be a reminder that we shouldn't be afraid because your son Jesus has come, has lived a perfect life, and died for all of us so that we can accept him as our Lord and Savior and live eternity with you. So God, I pray for anyone in this room, if eternity hasn't started for them yet, God, that they would decide today that it is the day that they will become a follower of you. And Father, if there's anyone here that is holding on to some idol that they need to get rid of, Father, I pray that they would drop it today, just like Linus dropped the blanket. Let us not be afraid of what this world throws at us, but instead be encouraged by the eternal life we get to spend with you. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing our last hymn, if you need to respond in any way, I'll be here. If you need to grab a deacon or an usher or somebody beside you and pray with you, they're, they're there. That's what a family is all about. So let's stand and sing together, and if you need to respond.